Heavenly Father, we are standing in your presence, recognizing that in this moment, we are in your throne room. You have opened up a way for us, Lord Jesus, to have an audience with the Father. And so, God, as we stand together, we are united in our presence before you, recognizing that you are holy, majestic, awesome. We have gathered together to give you praise. We love you, Lord. God, as we think about what is going on right now in our country, the many challenges that are being faced, we are reminded that you are still God. We do desire, Lord, as we sang in worship this morning, to do more than just survive. We desire to thrive. We recognize, Lord, that you are bigger than the challenges that are facing our country. We recognize that you are stronger than the vilest thing in the world. We know, Lord, that you have command over disease, and we trust in you. Lord God, it is our desire to be faithful to you. It is our desire to display your love to those around us. It's our desire to be your hands and your feet in this community. And as we have been praying, Lord, we, we desire that our leaders would follow you, that our leaders, from the highest person to the lowest person in our country, that all of us would submit to you. We pray for President Trump, for Vice President Pence. We pray, Lord, for the elections coming up. We pray for Joe Biden, for Kamala Harris. God, that they would seek you in all that they are, not just as a piece of who they are, but that our leaders would bow to you. God, we need you. In this moment of division, we need you to unify us. May we step towards you as we step back together as a people. Please heal the divisions in our land as we seek healing from the only source of healing that will do this, and that is you. God, we love you. We pray for healing for those of us who have been in surgery this past week, for those of us who are ill, for those of us who have been struggling with cancer. God, we seek your wholeness. Give wisdom, Lord, to our school as we enter this time of hybrid learning now for the high school. And give us protection, Lord, but give us boldness even as we recognize that our numbers in this county for COVID-19 are going up. But may that not dull the spreading of the good news in this place. We love you, Lord Jesus. We trust you. Give us strength to endure. In Jesus' name, amen.
It is good to be here. Do you believe that? Well, I don't remember much from my elementary school years. I do remember a few things. I remember getting punched in the nose in kindergarten. Knocked me completely out. Blood everywhere. It's fantastic. I remember spending more than a few times in the principal's office, and I do mean more than a few. (laughs) I didn't lose every fight, just saying. I do remember strange things. I remember playing the harpsichord in music class. As I sang, leaving on a jet plane with my good friend Brian. Because I'm leaving on a jet plane. F7, remember that? You know, B flat. You guys never played the harpsichord? It's fantastic. Harpsichord was great. I remember my acting debut in fourth grade. Probably never in the history of mankind has a more wonderful version of the Rubber Ducky song been performed by a fourth grader than by me. Good times. Elementary school. And one of the things I remember the most about elementary school was Friday afternoons. Friday afternoons at my elementary school was show and tell day. Anybody remember show and tell? I remember that my biggest task every week, and I, meant, I mean this, like my whole week revolved around what was I going to bring to show and tell on Friday afternoon. I just, for some reason, that was really important to me. Show and tell. All week I would think about it. What would I bring? What was I going to say this week? I would start thinking about it Friday night, about the next week. I, It was such a thrill for me to share this little piece of my life with my class. And I remember I was excited to hear what my classmates had to say, what they were going to bring for show and tell. We looked forward to it as a class. It, It might seem weird, but my whole class just loved show and tell. Favorite day. And you know, looking back as a kid, I really thought that showing show and tell was going to have a bigger part of my life as an adult. I I just really thought it was going to be much more than what it actually has been. I don't know. Truthfully, I haven't used my show-and-tell skills a whole lot since elementary school. And I did have some significant show-and-tell skills. You probably did too. It's too bad, really. I've forgotten how much I missed show-and-tell until I was literally typing the words for this sermon. I was just a flood of emotion about show and tell came over me. Isn't that strange? Well, today, I want us to think about the idea of show and tell, but maybe in a different way than we have in a while. Let's pray again, and this time as we pray, specifically for God to speak in His Word. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we open up Your Word, it's with expectation. Expectation that You are going to speak to us through your word. And so, God, Holy Spirit, would you please speak to us through your word? We look forward to what you have to say to us in expectation. Amen. 
Well, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Last Sunday, we encountered the upside-down kingdom of God. A kingdom where the least are the greatest and where the greatest weapon that we possess is not fire from heaven. The greatest weapon we possess is unconditional love. And we start today with a final thought of Jesus on his upside-down kingdom in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But Jesus replied, But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Hmm. Those are difficult words. Isn't that just too demanding? I mean, does Jesus really expect us to not bury our fathers? That's what we just read. I mean, I'm a little bit confused because I thought we were supposed to honor our mother and fathers. In fact, isn't that one of the Ten Commandments? It doesn't seem like that's real honoring your father would die and you don't even bury him. Doesn't that just seem too much? Aren't we supposed to honor our family? Yes. So what in the world is going on here? Hmm. This is one of those times when we really need to stop and take a careful look at what Jesus is saying. So I... To do that, I want to give you three very short analogies. I mean, these are super short, but this might help us make sense of what Jesus is saying here. Okay, so the first one is the military. You know, if we entered a war right now as a country, let's just, I mean, just think about World War II. That's the last really major all-out, all the whole country is involved in a war, right? The draft. Of course, Vietnam War, Korean War. I mean, there's lots of, I don't, I don't want to minimize those things, but I want you to think about, you know, the whole country mobilized. When you go to boot camp and you're training for a war in which you are going to go across the world and you're going to fight in this war, and if we lose this war, the whole world's different. In fact, if we lose this war, it's the kind of war where our country's not even going to be a country anymore. Imagine a war like that. You know, when you go to train for that kind of war, you go to train. It becomes your priority because you know that this is a life or death conflict that's about to happen. And when you get called up to go train, my son Ryan just had to do this, the selective service. He, when you put your name on that line, that says, I will respond if drafted. If our country is under an imminent threat like that, that military training takes priority. 
doesn't it? There's young men and women right here, right now, that if there was a draft, you would go. Even if, even if, and put whatever you want in there, it becomes the priority. Second analogy. This one maybe is a little bit um, less forceful, but I still think it, it applies. We don't think twice when it's time for a football team to go into training camp about that becoming the priority, do we? When it's time for training camp to happen, you go to training camp. You don't miss practice, do you? When it's time to get serious about volleyball or basketball, to train, you take it seriously, don't you? This isn't like, well, everything else can be a higher priority than that. No, if you want your team to win in football, you've got to take practice seriously, don't you? And now the third, the third little analogy, marriage. Some of you that have been recently married know you have to say something like, forsaking all others. You have to know, don't you, that when you get married, it's time for your parents to no longer be at the highest level of the family chain. It's now time for your wife or your husband to be more important than your parents or even than your siblings and parents. Because you are now the whole leaving and cleaving. You leave this family and you now cleave to your spouse. Now, you and I both know that you don't leave forever, right? And there still is important things to happen with your family that you left. But your primary priority right now, that moment when you say yes, and this thing goes on your finger, that woman that you're looking at as a man, that woman that you look at in that moment is now the priority. Not your mom and dad. It changes. It changes, doesn't it? In that moment. And that change matters. In all three of these analogies, we understand that there are circumstances where a greater and more important task overshadows even what we think in normal times is the most important thing. And you see... That's what Jesus is saying. He's talking about priorities. Jesus is calling us to get our priorities straight. If the kingdom of God is real, the kingdom that Jesus is preaching about in the book of Luke when he was on earth, if that is real, then our allegiance to it requires the top spot in our lives. The top priority. A priority in which Yes, we have lesser priorities, but none of the lesser priorities are at that level. Do you see that? This is what Jesus is saying to us. And I think when these people came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me go back first and say goodbye to my family. Let me go back first and, and bury my father. Jesus is saying, you are misunderstanding what I am talking about when I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I think a whole lot of Christians need to be reminded of this because it is so easy to make Christianity just a compartment of your life. 
just a piece of your life. That, that this idea of following Jesus as king, this idea of being a citizen of God's kingdom, it, it becomes just, just a part of who we are. In fact, we are encouraged by that. We, we are encouraged not by that. We're encouraged to do that. I mean, even the Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings that are going on right now. Well, you're a, you're a devout Catholic, right? But that, we don't want that to, to be a part of anything that you're doing. Really? That's the way we're supposed to be Christians. False. False. Kingdom of God. First. And the only. Then everything else. And even in, in sermons that I've been preaching recently, and, and right in the middle of this crazy divisive election, I've said this before, it's worth saying again. This, what Jesus is saying here, kingdom of God is your primary affiliation, then Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Independent. I don't care, right? Kingdom of God is your primary political affiliation, church. And how is this, how is this in a place in our country where we think somehow we can elevate another affiliation to the same level? That is false. Jesus, in this passage, he would look at us, I think, and say, how can you put your religious affiliation at the same level as me? And you know, I'm sorry, and religious even, and political even, and everything. And you're like, well, what do you mean religious? Because we're not about a religion, we are about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Every time we get this wrong, every time this priority gets out of joint, bad things happen. Look around at our country right now. Bad things are happening. And I would make an argument as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm looking at this, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16. I look at that every time I'm up here preaching to you. Our country is divided because we have gotten this mixed up in large part. Now, of course, large sections of our country aren't even giving Jesus Christ affiliation in any way. I understand that too. But if the church were to be the church as Jesus describes, that is the cure for our country. Urgency and priority are what Jesus is saying to us. The kingdom of God is to be our number one priority. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is to be our number one priority. And with that priority comes urgency. A kind of urgency that, well, will be remembered in Jesus' words. Look again at this last verse, 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now just real quick, this has two things. The idea of looking back when your hand is on the plow, it's a farming analogy. When you're plowing, okay, now imagine an oxen or a team of oxen and you've got a plow. We've, we've seen the Amish around us do this, right? They're standing there on the plow and, and the team of oxen is pulling the plow. Do you know what happens when you look back? Okay? I'll do it this way. When you're plowing and you look back, you're supposed to be plowing forward. When you look back, it goes like this. You see that? So the first analogy Jesus is talking about here is when you look back at where you've plowed, you go off target. 
your, your direction gets messed up because you pull back to where you're looking. And then, of course, there's another thing that Jesus is bringing up here. Look at Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Now, we're going all the way back to Genesis for this one, but Jesus went all the way back to Genesis. Think about this story. It's the story of Lot and his wife. With the coming of dawn, um, with the, coming of dawn the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry! Take your wife and your two daughters who are, who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. And then just skipping forward a couple verses to verse 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now there's connections all over the place here. Remember, in just the previous passage, the disciples had went into that Samaritan village, right? The Samaritans didn't receive him. And the disciples said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven? And Jesus, remember last week, he said, he, it just said he rebuked them. But he was, you, right? Really? You've missed the whole point of everything I've been saying. Do you think it's, you think it's a coincidence that Jesus brings up this idea of Sodom and Gomorrah? In this section that happens right after it, it's connected. Except Jesus is saying now, the, the fire from heaven came down on Sodom and Gomorrah and then Lot's wife, who was supposed to be going forward in the task of ministry, looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus has connected these things together and the gospel writer Luke has connected these things together. Do you see this? Do you see this? This sense of urgency, hurry, don't look back. This is the sense of urgency that we are to have as we tell people about the kingdom of God. And then we get to chapter 10. And it's not a surprise, this is about telling people about the kingdom of God. Okay? All of this is connected. Do you see how Luke has woven these things together? All right. Let's go to Luke 10, starting in verse 1. And think about how all of these things connect. All right. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Gee, I wonder if this all fits together. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to, me, to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Woo. All right. Just to let you know, there's too much here to digest this in one sermon. So we're only going to start today. And then in two weeks when I preach again, we'll come back and we'll fill out the rest. But I want to start with the first thing Jesus said. Verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Oh boy. I'm kind of excited by this and you might think that that's going to be very odd. I'm going to dig deep into this in a way that you are going to, at the end of this, you're going to go, I don't know if I understood most of that, but that's okay. Okay, so I hope you've got your thinking hats on because we're going to go down deep into this. Now, I find this to be a very interesting story because he tells the 72 to go and then what does he tell? Go, show, and tell. Right? Go, show, and tell. That's what he's saying. Go. And he, I told you before that questions are good when studying Scripture. Okay? Some of you may have been raised in churches where they would say, don't ask questions of the Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. What they meant by that is don't question the Scripture. I'm saying ask questions of the Scripture. In other words, a way of interacting with the text is when you read something and you don't really understand it, forming that little cloud that's in your head into a question can be quite helpful for digging deep into Scripture. So if if you are doing that and you've been doing that because I've been trying to tell you to do that, you should have some questions pop up in your head when you read a passage like this, okay? So we're looking at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So here's some questions that would, might pop up into your head. Who are these 72 people? Right? Where'd they come from? What about the 12 disciples? Are the 12 disciples part of this group of 72? Or are these the 72 that are others than the 12 disciples? Is this a different group? <laughs> and why 72? That's literally in my notes. The next question, Don. Literally, I mean, she, if you, you couldn't hear it at home, Don was like, why 72? It's literally the next question. Yes. Excellent. Why 72? Doesn't that seem like a really specific number? Right? Ha <laughs> ha. We're going to answer the question. Here we go. So if you've had some of these questions come to mind, and when you read Scripture, if these are the questions that start popping in your mind... That is great. You may think that you're not supposed to do that, but I'm telling you, you are supposed to do that. Ask questions as you read. That's how you figure out what it means. If you have your whole life thought you're not supposed to ask questions when you read, you are missing out on so much depth of Scripture. So much depth. Okay? It's good to ask questions. 
And by the way, somebody in the last 2,000 years has already thought of the question that you just had, and about 20 people have probably already given an answer to it. Okay? The Bible can stand up to your questions. Now, oh, here we go. As you've already figured out in our study of Luke, there's usually layers of rich depth of meaning in these stories. And this passage is, of course, no exception. We're not going to have time to look at every nook and cranny today because there's a lot here, but I want to show you something I found very interesting. And this might seem like a little bitty thing, but I I want you to hang with me because I think, for me at least, I found this to be very meaningful. And it's such a small thing. So if you've got your, your, your paper Bible, or if you've got your phone, your digital Bible, I want you to look right now at it, okay? So look at chapter 10, verse 1. So if you don't have your Bible open, take a look. And if you're at home, grab your Bible and take a look, all right? I want you to look now at that verse, and I want you to look at the word 72. Do you see it? 72. There should be a very small little letter next to 72. Do you see it? Not every Bible has these, but most Bibles do. Even the digital ones, a lot of them have this. There's just a little letter. And if you look at that little letter and then look down at the bottom where the footnotes are or down where the commentary is if you've got a study Bible, you will see that your little letter is down there. And what does it say? Anybody? Some manuscripts 70. This is one of those moments. I like teaching. I like it when light bulbs come on, so I'm super excited to see when light bulbs come on. Okay? Here we go. Here we go. The New Testament was written about 2,000 years ago, right? And unfortunately, we do not have any of the original documents of the New Testament. So just so you know, you cannot go somewhere and find an original copy of the book of Luke, like, like the one that Luke actually wrote. You will not find that. We do not have any of the original documents of the New Testament, okay? But we do have copies. And these copies, some of these copies are very, very old. In fact, some of them date all the way back even to the first century. We have some fragments of the New Testament that date back to the very first century of Christianity. Even though we don't have the originals, we've got fragments of copies from the first century. And of course, we've got more than some fragments, we've got entire copies. And as you get later to the second century, to the third century, we end up with entire entire copies of the New Testament. In fact, These ancient documents that are copies of the New Testament have a special name. We call them manuscripts. Manuscripts are very old copies of the ancient documents of the New Testament. Now, we have a lot of manuscripts. In fact, at current count, we keep discovering them every so often. We discover a new one. But at current count, we have about... 5,700 manuscript copies of the New Testament. 5,700. Now, just to give you an idea, other ancient documents we have, like, for example, the, the ancient Greek prophet 
prophet. Um, the ancient Greek poet Homer wrote the poem, The Iliad. The Iliad is the next most well-attested ancient document that we have manuscript copies for. The Iliad, the total number of copies, of manuscript copies of the Iliad that we have is 643. We have 5,700 manuscript documents of the New Testament. The next closest ancient document has 643. We have literally 10 times more manuscripts of the New Testament than the next closest ancient document. And most ancient documents, for example, you've heard of Plato, not Pluto the dog, okay? Plato, remember Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, those guys? Plato, do you know how many manuscripts we have of Plato? Manuscript copies, so these are not the originals, the copies. Eight. We have 5,700 of the New Testament. We have eight of Plato. Now, 5,700 is a lot. A lot. And one of the things that biblical scholars do is they look at these 5,700 manuscripts and they put them next to each other and they compare them. Okay? Now, as you can imagine, when documents are hand-copied over hundreds of years, sometimes one copy gets a little bit different than another copy. Imagine, for hundreds of years, hand-copying the cursive handwriting of the monk that went before you into another one. Imagine that process. For hundreds, I mean actually thousands of years. Imagine that process of hand copying. There is going to develop, when that happens, differences among the copies. Just because we're human. In a, this is where it gets tricky, so hang with me. Of all of those copies, the 5,700 manuscripts we have, in almost exactly half of them, the word in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, is 72. In the other half, and I mean almost exactly half, in the other half, the word is 70. If you've never heard this stuff before, and I'm guessing some of you have never heard this before, you might get scared a little bit right now. Because it sounds like I'm questioning the integrity of Scripture. Hold with me. The first time I heard anybody talk about this stuff, I was in seminary. And I remember thinking, as you might be thinking right now, I remember thinking, but wait! I thought the Bible was the Word of God. How can there be copying errors in the Word of God? Hold on. Hold on. I want you to know something very important. And it's, it starts with this. When I was hired as youth pastor 15 years ago, the day that I candidated, after I got done, I walked down 
And the first person that talked to me was Dave. I've said this to you before, Dave. The first thing you asked me was, where do I stand on the authority of Scripture? It's the first question I was asked. And I want you to know, if you haven't figured it out yet for my preaching, I stand on the authority and accuracy of the Bible. The Bible is our guidance for all of life. And it is trustworthy. Okay, just want to make sure you heard that. But in seminary, I got this discussion and I thought, how can this be? How can there be copying mistakes in the Word of God? I need you to hear this now. Scholars for hundreds of years have been looking at the two copies, at the, at the 5,700 copies, and they've been looking and comparing. And they have found places like this where there are differences. But I need you to hear this. Of all of the differences of the, that they have found in these 5,700 documents, every single one, I need you to hear this, not one of them modifies the essential doctrines of God and salvation. Not one. The doctrines of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and the doctrine of salvation, not one textual difference changes that. All right. These copying differences are oftentimes, they're just times when a monk was tired at night and left off a word. Or maybe a monk... Think about it. There were monks that didn't have glasses. They were probably farsighted <laughs> trying to copy these documents, right? And the word 70, just like English and Greek, to make the word 70 into 72, you add the word 2 in the end. It's just like that in Greek. It's really easy to leave it off, right? Okay. Consider this finally, and then we'll move on. How strange would it be, just think about this, how impossibly strange would it be if all 5,700 manuscripts were exactly the same? Think about how strange that would be. That would be strange to the point of, there's no way I'm going to believe that. Think about that, right? That would be strange to the point of, somebody has manipulated this over the centuries. Right? Okay. Back to our 70 or 72 quandary. Which one is it? What was the number in the original book of Luke? Like what number did Luke originally write because Luke is recording what actually happened? Did Jesus actually send out 72 or did he actually send out 70? Which one is it? Well, something really, really interesting is going on here. This story is unique to the book of Luke. And what I mean is, it's not in Matthew, Mark, or John. Matthew, Mark, and John do not have a parallel story that says Jesus sent out 72 or 70 people. Now, Matthew does have a very similar story. In fact, even a lot of the language is the same in Matthew chapter 10. But in that story, Jesus, Jesus only sends out the 12. Okay, he doesn't send out 72. So, what's going on here in the book of Luke? Why does Luke decide that this story of Jesus sending out a group of 72 or 70 is worth including in the gospel? Now, that is a really good question, right? Asking good questions matters. 
Especially when you remember that Luke, Luke has already told us a story of Jesus sending out the twelve. Remember just from chapter 9. Look again at chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they, he, they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. I want you to notice, that sounds super similar. Are you, are you catching this? It's like, Wow. That's really close to the same thing. Not exactly word for word, but really close. Ha! Not only did we just study this passage a few weeks ago here at our church, but that passage in chapter 9 sounds extremely similar to the passage we're studying today in our church in Luke 10. So again, the question, why does Luke include a second story about Jesus sending out another group but this time it's 72 instead of 12. That's just, it's so meaningful when, G, when Luke just said the thing about the 72. And it's even more interesting when you consider that Matthew thought that the story of Jesus sending out the 12 was enough for his gospel. Why does Luke include this story of the 72? Again, back to chapter 10 verse 1. And why do the manuscript copying issues about this word fit into this? I mean, I don't know. I, I know that this is, like, we're like way down here, okay? I just want you to know I'm having a super fun time. I don't know if you're having fun. Some of you are just like, if I was watching the live stream, I would have pushed pause a long time ago. Come back to it later in the day when I'm more awake. Don't do that, live stream people. All right. To get an answer to these questions, we are going to have to remember who Luke was and who his audience was. Now, I know it's been a little while since we talked about this, but does, anyone, does anybody remember? Luke was a Gentile. And Luke was writing this book, this Gospel of Luke, to... Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, as a, as a reminder, are everyone who is not a Jew. Every nation except Israel. We are living in the United States of America. That's our nation. We are not living in Israel. And we are not Jews. Now, I know that there are Jews living in the United States of America. But our nation is not a Jewish nation. We are a Gentile nation. And you... And I are not Jews, we are Gentiles. In other words, the gospel of Luke is our gospel. It's written for us. Now, we also need to remember that Luke wrote two books, didn't he? I said this last week, I just said this. He wrote volume one, which is the gospel of Luke, and that's about the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then he wrote volume two, which is the book of Acts about the birth and life of the church through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was for all nations. And I just told you last week that Luke is like Jesus heading to Jerusalem, and the book of Acts is really Paul heading to Rome. 
So there's this theme in both of these volumes. All of this is on purpose by, by the writer Luke. Okay? And the, the, the overarching message of Luke, one of the overarching messages of Luke, is that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. You remember? Even the angel in the, in the birth narrative, you know, telling the shepherds, this is for everybody. Right? So, just a reminder that the blessing of God through Jesus Christ, the salvation, the good news of God, is for all nations. Nations. All nations. That reminds me of something. Trivia question. If anybody gets this right, I will give you a sucker. Because this is a hard question. So if you think you know the answer, you raise your hand. Okay? Does anybody know where in the Bible there is a list of all the nations? Anybody? I didn't think so. Hard question. The answer is, an entire chapter of Scripture in the Bible is dedicated to this question. Genesis chapter 10. I didn't think anybody would get that one. Genesis chapter 10 has a list of all the nations. Now, you should be able to guess the next trivia question right. Even if you don't know, you'll probably be able to guess it. Does anybody know how many nations are listed in Genesis chapter 10? Aiden? 72. Oh. <laughs> and yet there's more. So, in, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament... That is called the Septuagint. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there are 72 nations listed in Genesis chapter 10. Did I mention that Luke was a Gentile? Luke was a Greek. Luke's Old Testament was the Septuagint. Interesting. But does anybody know what the original language of the Old Testament was? It wasn't Greek, it was Hebrew. The Hebrew Old Testament has a special name today. We call it the Masoretic Text. So you've got the Septuagint in Greek, you've got the Masoretic Text in Hebrew. <laughs> Does anybody know how many nations are listed in Genesis chapter 10 in the Hebrew version of the Old Testament? 17. There's the light bulb. Oh, you guys. Oh. Do you know what this means? Somehow, it has come about over the course of 2,000 years that both Possible copying errors both point to Genesis chapter 10. 
fulfilling the entire theme that the author Luke is trying to make about Jesus. Even in the copying error, it points us to the sovereignty of God in the message of His Word. It's this small little thing. And let me tell you something. If you try to explain this to someone who's like a staunch atheist, they'll go, well, that's just a coincidence. And I'll say, you might be right, but it makes my faith stronger. Even in the error, God is at work confirming his word. Oh, man. It's like this little thing. It's literally a footnote. And it's like, yes, God is faithful in his word. (laughs) That Almost makes me cry. And now, look at verse 3 in Luke chapter 10, and then we'll be done. Jesus says, Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And then skip down to verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. Go, show, and tell. That's that's what Jesus is saying here. The message of the kingdom of God is one of priority and urgency. The 72, or the 70, were sent out by Jesus and their message was one of power And the simple message of the kingdom of God was arriving. It was not just power and it was not just the words. It was the power and the words together. Show and tell. Go and show and tell what this kingdom means. And here I am brought back to those Friday afternoons in elementary school. You know how much I used to look forward to show and tell? Remember that? That's what we're supposed to be like when we tell people and show people about what Jesus has done for us and about what it means that the kingdom of God is here. We have victory. We have power. We have power over sickness. And I'm not saying that as a political statement (laughs) in this present age of COVID-19. I'm saying it as a statement of the power of the kingdom of God. We do have power over all of this stuff. We can tell people about the good news of the kingdom. And we must go, show, and tell. Luke chapter, two, chapter 10, verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Have you noticed how easy it is to put everything above 
Jesus, everything above this work of go and show and tell, it is so easy for us to put even things that are good, like family. Have you noticed that there's a shift in our culture to put family above Jesus? Sunday's a family day. Okay, it's good that Sunday's a family day. But Sunday is your church family day. Could we, could we get that right? It's about your true family. It's about the true meaning of allegiance to the priorities of the kingdom of God. It's not just a family day like your immediate family. And again, I'm not saying that as a way to say, be a bad family member. Of course not. What I'm saying is just what Jesus said. We are on mission. It's time to train for war. It's time to get, get the team together for training camp. It is time to remember that your former family, you are leaving and you are cleaving to your new. It's time to get your priorities straight. Don't look back. It's time to plow straight. And there is so much work to be done. The, the harvest is so plentiful. So where are you? What priorities have taken over your priority to go, show, and tell? I have to, I'm not standing up here saying, oh, I've got this all figured out. It's a constant reminder, a daily reminder of who's on the throne in my life. This COVID thing has thrown me for a loop just as much as all of you. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of the election. Reminding myself every day about the priorities of Jesus Christ, about the power of Jesus Christ. It's so important. You know, Jesus just reminded of this just a couple chapters ago. Luke 8, 14, the parable of the sower. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear that as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. It's the same thing, right? I'm just talking about it in a slightly different way, just like Jesus. The, the things of life choke us. There's so many weeds. We are so surrounded by weeds. Does it describe you? Does that describe your walk with God? Does that describe where the kingdom message is at in your life now? Are you or am I so consumed with you name it? You name it that you're no longer going and showing and telling about the hope of Jesus Christ. Even good things can become idols, can't they? Even family can become an idol. If this is you, I urge you, I exhort you in the name of Jesus Christ to put him back on the throne of your life. He is king. His kingdom has arrived in power. Please don't put other things above or equal to God, to the kingdom of God in your life. We are called to forsake all for Jesus. I just want to end with something that, that's always bothered me. It's a youth ministry pet peeve. Being a youth pastor for 10 years, I've been to all kinds of conferences, big conferences, little conferences. I've even been the speaker at conferences. I've seen so many speakers do this thing that drives me insane, okay? It goes something like this. At the end of a really good, strong sermon, somebody will say this. They'll say, okay. 
Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Right? You've been to these conferences. And now with all eyes closed, if you have been impacted in your heart by the Holy Spirit, just raise your hand. Just ra- with all eyes closed. All eyes closed. Just raise your hand. Okay, everybody put your hands down. Okay, now everybody open your eyes. Now for those who have made a decision to follow Jesus today, come and talk to me some other time and we will, we will talk about Jesus. Does that sound like what Jesus is talking about in our passage today? Luke chapter 9, verse 26. Again, just the chapter before. Let me remind you. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I have never thought it was appropriate to keep your eyes down and your head closed and go like this. And that seems to describe most of Christianity in America today. Will anybody stand with me boldly for Jesus Christ? Really? You believe that? Let's see it. Right now. Will you stand with me boldly for Jesus Christ? Don't stand if you're going to not do what I've just said. It's time to put the kingdom of God here and everything else below. And if you are standing, well, now you're standing because of peer pressure. Probably. Everybody else is standing. I can't be standing down. But the idea is, if you are standing, you're going to take this stand and you're going to stand like this everywhere else. Now, please pray with me. Lord God, It is our desire as we stand together, and I I just want to pause here. If you're at home and you're sitting on the couch, stand up. Lord God, we stand together both in this room and in all of the places where our flock is gathered. We stand because we want to go and show and tell about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and live as a citizen of His kingdom. Give us the strength. You've already given us the message of good news. Now, may we go and put other affiliations aside and below our affiliation to Jesus Christ. And may your kingdom be moved forward in this place. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Go in the power of God.